0: Thank you for tuning in. We trust you will feel encouraged, uplifted, and inspired to build God's kingdom with us. Enjoy the message. All right. Okay, we're continuing in the book of James, and um, I, I'm going to warn you that um, the portion of scripture I'm covering today, as I, as I prepared it, was so convicting. Man, it was hectic. And um, so I'm hoping that um, I can bring it in a way this morning that it doesn't sound hard, hard but... But it's really a topic that we all have to deal with. And um, so I'm trusting the Spirit of God this morning to really speak to us. But before we go there, anybody who's visiting us for the first time, um, please could you raise your hand? We've got a little card that we'd love to give you, uh, get some information. Welcome. It's nice to have you here this morning. Welcome. Welcome over there. It's good to have you here this morning. Um, just to say that if you're new or relatively new, we, as you leave the church on the left, there's a yellow table. It's, um, there will be very good-looking people. I think Shane Hay might be there this morning. And um, they will be there to just take the card from you and to introduce ourselves. And then, then it will be great for us just to meet and have a quick chat. So um, that's as you leave the service, the yellow table on the left. All right, so we're in James chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to be doing James chapter 3 this week and next week. And then Bryce will be t- starting James chapter 4 the, the week after that. And um, I thought that I'm going to stay within the theme this morning. So watch this video. We all sometimes need a word of encouragement. And words are so important to keep you in the right frame of mind. Which means never forget where you come from. Remain humble and you know, and stay hungry. Never, never, ever, ever give up. When you're away from home, hearing a South African voice. It gives me a constant buzz, a constant energy. Words do change the game. And we are truly inspired by the people of South Africa. All right. Words change the game. You know, that is so true in our own lives. Words change our lives. They change the game of our lives, and um, they change the direction of our lives. I think that we, when we use our words, there's two ways we can use our words. We often can use our w- words to bring life, and when we use our words to bring life, we use our words to heal, and to reconcile, and to love, and to show affection, and to bring peace. Those are the kind of words that we love, and we love to use words like that. We love to see how those words impact people's lives. I think if you think about this morning, the impact that those kind of words had on your life. There's many stories that we, you go into YouTube and you hear all these stories of people that have done phenomenal things, and they always, most of the time, go back to somebody who had verbalized that they believed in them, that they could do it that they had had the skills, whatever they needed, but there was somebody that verbalized and used their words to bring life to that person. The flip side is also true. Words are very destructive and destroying. Angry words, lying words, slander and gossip, hateful words, discriminating words, belittling words, unloving words, unkind words, fearful words, bitter words, critical words, negative words. We hate these words because we know the pain that these words bring into our lives, the hurt. I think the thing as I reflected this, this week is that as much as we hate these words, oftentimes we're the instruments of these words. And that also brings pain into our lives. When we think of all the destruction and the hurt that we've caused by the things that we've said, we all have these examples. As a pastor, we counsel, and often we'll speak to people, children who are... Struggling through something and often they'd say it's because my parent kept on saying I'm not good enough I'll never amount to something or there was a teacher Or there's a spouse who says that their spouse has always belittling them and they've lost confidence and now they don't know what to do And and these words have destroyed Something in their lives. You see the way we speak can either bring life or it can bring death The amazing thing about our words is that our words can edify people. It means our words can build people up But have you ever thought about the power of your words in the kingdom of God? That our words can actually build the kingdom of God as we use our words to bring life. But as I said before, that our words have the potential not just to honor God, to bring glory to God, but they also have the potential to be unrighteous and full of evil, deadly poison. And so this morning I want us to look at that. Because as I prepared, this is the thing that kept on sitting in my heart the whole time. Is that, isn't the greatest sin in our lives the way we speak? Isn't the greatest sin in our life the way we speak? We often think, and and this is my story of the week. I I realize that, that most of my thinking about sin is about what I do. I, I relate not wanting to sin by the things I do, and very seldom think about the fact that most of my sin is actually what I say. And I realized this week that I hardly ever think about not sinning with my mouth. but I spend a lot of time praying about not sinning in what I do. And as I unpack this, I realize that, that the sin we need to deal with is our mouth. We need to deal with the sin of our mouth. It's a simple principle. You know, to do sin, you need the opportunity. You know, if you want to steal something, you need to be in a position for there, for there to be something to steal. If you want to commit adultery, there needs to be another person. You know, if there's no other person, you're not gonna commit adultery. But the point is, is that when you open your eyes, you can sin with your mouth. Because we pick up that telephone and we get onto Facebook as we open, and we lambaste and we blast and we carry on on Facebook because there's something we didn't like. And then we write a note to our friend on WhatsApp. Can you believe what Steve did last night? Who does Steve think he is? Wait, the Lord will deal with him. Hallelujah, I'm going to have my quiet time down. <laughs> and in an instant, evil just flows out of our mouths whether it's through our social media or whether it's the way we talk. I think it resonates as true. I think that was the hardest thing for me this week as I prepared because it is so true. It resonates as true. We do strive to do what's right. We do strive to live a life that honors God. We do wanna be doers of the word. But we often fall with the way we speak, our words. Our words. Paul writes in Romans 3, 10 to 11, he says this, no one is righteous, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The point he's trying to make before you get too too concerned here. He's concluding the first two chapters of Romans and he's trying to conclude that humanity naturally is Sinful. But listen, interestingly, what he emphasizes on. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. James in chapter one, verses 26, writes the following, He says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, now that means scrupulously observant of uh, the rituals of his faith, and that just means that if anybody thinks that he's doing the right Christian stuff, And does not control his tongue, but deludes his own heart. This person's religion, all that work you're doing for God is worthless. It's futile. It's barren. It has no life. James is telling us that our acts of faith are worthless if our mouth and the way we speak doesn't support what we do. I think last week, Roloff challenged us a lot about the fact that, that our faith is useless and dead if we don't do what the Word tells us to do. If we're not doers of the Word, our faith is useless and dead, and I think that James is continuing on that thing, that theme, and he's trying to tell us that our faith is useless if we do not speak right. Let me give you an example. If I had to go uh, to this afternoon and go and feed the poor and help... Um, Orphans and widows, they will be phenomenal. But if I get home, and this isn't the prophetic st- statement, and my wife is there, and I lambaste her, and I belittle her, and I speak unkind, hurtful, painful words to her, what use is it that I spend the day trying to feed the poor and help the help the needy? If I go home and I use my mouth to destroy. and and evil just comes out of it. What use is that? Where's our faith in that? So James unpacks this in chapter three from verse one to 12. And so let's read that together. I don't have it on the screens because it's too much. So um, share with a friend or go into your iPhones or read your Bible and let's read it together. (coughs) Excuse me. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, this thing ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water." The first thing that James starts about talking there is about the accountability we have for the way that we use our words. Verse one, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. We are accountable for the words we use. It's interesting yeah, that he's speaking to Christians. He says, my brothers, he's not talking to unbelievers, he's talking to Christians. He'll be in a setting like we are this morning to people that profess to believe in Jesus Christ. And he's addressing them and he says to them, don't, not many of you should want to be teachers. So we know who he's addressing. He's addressing the teaching function of a church, the preaching function of a church. And he says that you must be careful because you will have a greater judgment, a stricter judgment if you are fulfilling those functions why why a stricter judgment well there's two main reasons one is because you know uh, I have an accountability this morning to influence you towards God with truth but if I don't use that influence for leading people to the truth I will be accountable before God for leading people to error and so the 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 bigger the audience the greater the accountability if I'm speaking to Rick in a counseling session and I, i give him the wrong advice biblically well it's one person it's still wrong but when I speak to 300 people like I am this morning and I lead you down the wrong track because I've misunderstood the word of God I will be held accountable the Bible tells us for those words and then I speak I over the years it's been interesting to see how pastors have preached. Um, I, I, well, well, let me go back. When I was young, I um, helped a pastor who was a Baptist. Uh, uh, he, he was a Baptist pastor. And uh, what happened to him is that on a weekend, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I think his wife was healed. And he came to us the next week and he said, I've always taught. I'm a sessionist. I've always taught that the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't for today, that there isn't healing, but I've experienced it myself, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he, and he said this, he said, for 20 years I've been teaching people error. I'm gonna be accountable for that. I think of uh, preachers, you hear them preach on a particular subject like grace, and then turn around years later and say, I got it wrong. There's a great accountability coming when we get it wrong. And so as teachers, if you're aspiring to be a preacher or a teacher of the Word of God, you need to understand that there's an accountability that you and I preach the truth. We're not yet to preach popular opinion. We're not yet to teach people about cultural conformity. Well, maybe in the culture that's right, but if it's not right according to the Word of God, we must say it. That's not right. We're not yet to do motivational speeches or to tickle people's ears. We are yet to lead people to the truth of who God is and how we should live for the glory of God. The second thing, why there is a stricter judgment is simple, is because the more you know, the more you're accountable for. I think if I look at, I don't want to move on, not to that one, but the next one. Everyone to whom much was given, of much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Yes, the principle. That if I teach this morning on the use of words, I can't stand before God one day and say, I didn't know. <laughs> everything i preach i have to live because i have knowledge of it now every sermon you and i hear when we have knowledge we are accountable with how we use that knowledge and so there's a stricter judgment but as you're sitting here this morning you say to me nick that's fantastic that's why we're not pastors i want to say to you that we misunderstand the context of this verse that many times in the synagogue it wasn't just the rabbi that preached or taught Jesus wasn't a rabbi, but he went many times and taught in the synagogue. Paul and Barnabas weren't rabbis, but it says every time they went into a town, they would go and speak where? In the synagogue. So we see that the teaching and the preaching and the, of the word of God was not just limited to the rabbis, but was broader than that, and often with respected of men in the culture. Today, it looks very different. Today, every teaching ministry has the following. Life group leaders you are teaching ministry. Counselors, you are teaching ministry. Youth and young adults, if you're teaching, you are teaching ministry and so on and so forth. And so this warning of James is not just for pastors who teach on a Sunday, but for every believer that is using the word of God to influence other people. And those principles are the same. And what James is just trying to elevate for us is to, for us to understand the accountability and the responsibility that we have before God to preach the truth and to make sure that when we are in, have the opportunity to share the word of God, whether it's through counseling or whether it's through children's church or whether you're a life group leader or life group shepherd or you're leading a course, that we are diligent to find the truth so we can bring the truth. That we don't just the morning before download the first thing that we find on the internet, learn it word for word and then go and teach it. Because that's not diligent. You may be be teaching people much error. And so the application this morning in that first part and the thing that I wanna appeal to you is that if you have the privilege this morning to influence people through the word of God, whichever mechanism, understand the privilege. Understand the responsibility. Understand that God calls us to be diligent. Listen to what he says, What Paul says to Timothy. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save yourself and your hearers. That should resonate in our heart. That should echo every time we take the word to teach it to other people. So now you're very happy that you're not involved, eh? but there's bad news. <laughs> Good news, but bad news. Is that the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. Matthew, do you want to Matthew 12 me there? I tell you on a day of judgment, people will give account for every careless and that careless, words, careless means worthless, unproductive, barren or useless word they speak. So not only are we going to be held accountable for how we teach the truth, but we are going to be, giving an account for every word that doesn't bring life, for every word that doesn't build up and honor God. We are going to give an account for that. And I think that's a fearful thing because scientists tell us this. They say that the minute you speak, sound waves travel. On an endless journey, they never stop. So that if we had the right instruments, we could actually record and replay every single word spoken by every single person that's ever lived. Yo, imagine that, eh? Corin? Imagine next week we're coming to hear Corin's words of her life. <laughs> it's frightening. But that's what Matthew 12 tells us. That God's got that instrument. And that God is expecting us to use our words to bring life and not to bring death. And that we must be careful in the way we speak because there is an accountability one day whether we're teaching the word or whether we're just speaking because God is going to ask us how we use these words in this life that he's given us. I don't think that James is discouraging us. That, That would be crazy. I don't think he's discouraging you from wanting to teach the word. Not at all, because the Bible says, go into all the world and make disciples. How do you make disciples? By teaching them. The Bible tells us that, Paul writes in Romans, he says, how do people know the gospel or hear the gospel? How will they ever be saved if they don't hear the word if somebody doesn't come and teach them? Paul says in Timothy, he says this, he says, it's a noble thing to aspire to want to be a teacher elder. And so the Bible's clear that it's good That we use our words to honor God and to further his kingdom. So James is definitely not discouraging us. He's encouraging us to be wise and to use our words to bring life. To understand the responsibility we have in the things we say. To understand that nothing that I say will ever go into, will ever actually die. But it it just travels and it travels and it travels. It's an amazing concept, actually. There's so much that you could talk about that, but I don't have the time this morning. As he moves into verse two, he says, for we stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man and able to bridle his whole body. And this is quite encouraging because James acknowledges that we do stumble in many ways and that we probably do stumble in many ways in the way that we speak. And he acknowledges that. But he introduces a very interesting concept here, a very interesting thought. He says that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Now, now you need to understand what that perfect means to understand what this verse means. That perfect doesn't mean perfect, sinless man. He's not saying that if you can control your tongue, you'll be perfectly sinless. No, he's not saying that. That word actually means perfectly mature. And so it's more a, a play on maturity. So he's basically saying the more we mature in our faith, the more we should see the change in the way we speak. The more we mature in our faith, the more control we should have over our tongue. The more we mature in our faith, people should be able to see it in the way that when we interact with them, that they go, have you ever been, let me ask you this question, have you ever been in a place and you hear somebody speak and you go, I'm sure they are Christian. Why? Because of their words. And what what James is encouraging us, he's saying as we grow in our understanding, as we grow in this relationship with God, one of the things that needs to change, one of the things that's an indicator that it's in our hearts is the way we speak. Because it changes. It goes from all this evil and death to life and encouragement and edifying. The second thing that, that he picks up yeah, is that mature believers who can control their tongue have probably learned to control the rest of their life what does he mean this is what he means if the tongue is such a restless uncontrollable instrument of sin if you can learn to control that the rest will fall into place because the worst thing the hardest thing for us to control is not the passions of the flesh but the restlessness of the tongue. And so he's encouraging us to, I think, take it very seriously that we deal with the way that we speak. That the way that we speak actually starts to reflect the maturity that we have in Christ that we believe in. That the way that we speak is an instrument that honors and glorifies God as we mature in our faith. And as we learn to do that, the rest will fall into place because we'll learn to have control over the rest of our body. My learning from that was that I've got it the wrong way around. I'm trying to deal with the uncontrollable things in my body and I neglect my mouth. So my application is this. I want to start working hard and controlling my tongue. And I'm gonna trust God that that verse is true, that the rest will fall into place. James continues in verse 3 and he starts now to speak about the power of the tongue. He uses three analogies. An analogy of a horse with a bit in its mouth, a ship with a rudder and and a a spark, a fire that that sets a forest on uh, on fire. And he uses this simply to, to do two things. To show us that the tongue is powerful because it gives direction. It controls the direction of our lives. But the, power is also, the, the tongue is also powerful because it's so destructive. And so we need to be very careful. Verse three reads like this, it says if we put a bit into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, they are also so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire; a world of unrighteousness. I'll stop there. Have you ever ridden a horse? <laughs> it's not funny. Hey? Yeah. No. I love horses; I really do. But I, I'm so scared of horses because they're so big and powerful, you know. And every time I've ridden a horse, the bit hasn't worked because if I go left, the thing goes right, and so, um, so I just don't ride a horse. But I love horses; they're beautiful. But the thing that I that the reason I'm so scared of horses is because I see how powerful they are. You know that a horse can be powerfully useful. When a bit is in a horse's mouth and it's tame, you can use it in farming, for example. You can use it in travel. You can use it for leisure, like show jumping and, and going on long rides in the forest, we, whoever does that. Okay. But a horse, when it's tame, and it has a bit in its mouth is powerfully useful. The opposite is also true. A wild untamed horse is powerfully destructive. Have you ever seen a wild horse? <laughs> I know people like that. Um, but it's scary, isn't it? Because it, it's it can damage. And it can kill and it can hurt. How many people have you met who've got wild, untamed tongues? How much damage has wild, untamed tongues done in your life? This is the point that, that James is making. That our tongues can be so powerfully useful if we use it right. But it can be so powerfully destructive if it's untamed and wild. He uses a second analogy and he uses this analogy of a boat on the sea and, and, and it's amazing that these massive boats can, can navigate themselves on the sea with a small little rudder. It's amazing. It's amazing that they can go from one place to another, that they can navigate around storms, that they can miss icebergs when the rudder's working. But a boat with no rudder will probably never get to its destination. A boat with no rudder will probably be shipwrecked. And in all those, there's so many pictures of of truth around what our tongue can do. How many times have you found yourself in a shipwrecked position because of something you said? How many times have you tried to rescue something into a direction because something that you said was misinterpreted interpreted, or you shouldn't have said it and now all of a sudden the direction of something has changed. You see the tongue is powerful when it's used right but it's equally powerful in its destruction when it's used wrong. He then moves on to the third analogy. Oh no, no, let me not go to the third analogy. Let me just park here. Both those analogies, both the horse and the ship, indicate that our tongue has the potential to influence and control the direction of our lives. Because that's actually what he's he's using them for. You can control the direction of a horse through a bit, you can control the direction of a boat through a rudder. How does our tongue control the direction? of our lives. I want to give you some examples because that's the only way I can explain it. How many times has the tongue, your tongue, my tongue, influenced the direction of our marriage because of what we said? Both good and bad. How many times has our tongue influenced the direction of our careers because of what we said? How many times has our tongue influenced a friendship, a relationship, the direction of it, because of what we said? And I'm hoping those few examples will just give you a glimpse that our tongues, in fact, do control the direction of our lives. And that if we, here's the scary thing, if we don't seriously try, and use our tongues for life. We seriously run the risk of being a victim of an untamed wild tongue or a rudderless boat, shipwrecked. He moves on to the third analogy and he basically says this, he says that, have you ever seen how a massive fire in a forest starts? (coughs) Through a spark. Now we understand that principle we understand that fires to start with a spark. I went and looked at the biggest fires in the world started through a spark. That's what I Googled. And um, the following came up. Lost 2018 there was a fire in California and a guy was, was hitting um, something with a hammer and it sparked and a hot metal fragment fell into a f- fuel that was nearby. And uh, 85 people, 85 people lost their lives because of that fire. Uh, firefighters were injured, 153,000 acres was burnt, and they destroyed 18,000 structures, a spark from a hammer. Mrs. O'Leary, this was the biggest fire before that, was 1871, which was a long time ago. But in her her barn, a spark set off a fire. 17,500 buildings were destroyed because of that spark. 300 people lost their lives. uh, 125,000 people were homeless. And what James is saying is that's what our tongue does. That is the potential of our tongue. We have the potential to destroy somebody's reputation by a word. We have the potential to start a rumor and a lie that will destroy somebody's career like that. We have the potential to cause much disaster and havoc and destruction in people's lives. Just like that, through a spark from our tongue. How many ministries have been divided and destroyed because of the spark of a tongue? How many marriages and friendships have been under severe pressure and maybe broken because of the spark of a tongue? Have you ever found yourself in a blazing forest fire because of something you said? You know, you look at it and you go, but I didn't mean to say that. I didn't realize that by saying that, this was going to be the outcome. Or we say, but it was never my intention. I didn't mean to say that. It was my intention that all this would come out of that. My personal favorite is, but I only told one person. (laughs) And now the whole world knows, and it's disaster for the poor person that suffers under that. Psalms 52 tells us this, your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you're, you worker of deceit. Proverbs 11, nine says, with his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. Our tongues are powerful. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to tame our tongues. We need to get a grip of control over our tongues because imagine the power of your tongue when you use it to bring love and acceptance and joy and reconciliation and peace. Imagine the power of your tongue when you can bring hope and encouragement and motivation and inspiration and you can build people up. Imagine the power of your tongue. That's what James, I think, is trying to get across for us. The last point in James chapter three, one to 12 is this, that we need to be consistent in the way that we use our words. Verse 10 says, from the same mouth comes blessing and curses, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You see, it's unnatural to have both life and death coming from your tongue it 's unnatural we can 't have blessing and cursing coming from our tongues it 's unnatural, but I experience and I talk about it, me too my experience is this in an instant i can I can tell Nick and encourage Nick and and I'll never come how much God loves him and all that. But then I will walk out here and go into the parking lot and Nick will curse me off. I'll say, Nick, you fool. How can that be? Because out of this spring, how can both death and life come? And that's the challenge that James sets before us. He says, we can't be fig trees and bear olives. We can't be a spring and have both salt and fresh. You see, because the fruit belongs to the root. The fruit belongs to the root. Grape tree, grape vines can only have grapes. Here's the application. If I have Christ in my heart, and if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm walking with God, that's my root, my heart, should demonstrate that by what I speak. It would be unnatural then, for anything else to come out. Jesus tells us in Matthew 12:34, he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you, you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Later on, Matthew 15, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And so what we begin to see and what we see James is starting to touch on is that if our hearts are right, our mouths will be Right? If our hearts are right, our mouths will be right. But if our hearts are not where they should be, we will probably be an unnatural spring and it will be this and it will be that. But if our hearts are right, the fruit will will demonstrate the root. You can see what's in a person's heart by the way they speak. Harsh tongues have angry hearts. Negative tongues have anxious hearts. Overactive tongues have unsettling, unsettled hearts. Filthy tongues have impure hearts. Critical tongues have bitter hearts. Gossiping tongues have unfaithful hearts. Slandering tongues have competitive hearts. But the opposite is also true. Compassionate tongues have loving hearts. Truthful tongues have honest hearts. Joyful tongues have happy hearts. Encouraging tongues have edifying hearts. You see... If you spend any amount of time with any person, you should be able to see what's in their heart by the way that they speak. James quite clearly says to us, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. There's an appeal from James to us this morning that as believers in Jesus Christ, let the heart that has been renewed and transformed by God, dictate what the mouth speaks. Because that would be right. And that's what we should be striving for. And listen to Ephesians 4.24. It says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as, as, fit, as, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to you ought to answer each person. I, I, as I come to a conclusion, there was a beautiful picture that I think illustrated this. Um, this guy was talking and I was listening and he said, you know what it's like when you have a heart that gushes both salt and fresh water it's like a child who's hugging their father and the father's got their back to a, a sibling and the child has got their tongue out at the sibling so what, what was he saying he's saying sometimes we do that as believers we are in love with God but we have our tongue outs at the people that he loves those around us with the words that we speak So we declare our love to God, but in the same moment we speak in a way that doesn't honor God to people around us. As I conclude this morning, I wanna encourage you. I think that this is such a, for me was such a hard hitting portion of scripture because I realized how little emphasis I put on having to speak right. And this portion of scripture challenged me a lot to make it a priority in my life, that what's in my heart should flow out. And if Christ is in my heart, I want him to flow out. I want words of edification, I want words of motivation, I want words that inspire, words that heal, words that reconcile, all those kind of, I want them to flow out of me because that's the Jesus in me. And I wanna give no opportunity for the devil to use my mouth as an instrument to bring destruction and to destroy. But James tells us we can't tame the tongue. So you and I now our own strength will never get it right. We have to, every single morning, wake up and say, Lord, I yield this tongue to you. Because I'm not strong enough. I can't tame this tongue, but if it's yielded to you, Lord, I can do this. And every time you speak something that is not uplifting, and, Something that you know this isn't right. I shouldn't be saying this kind of thing. Sit back and say, "What is in my heart? Why am I saying that?" And take that back to God so He can heal you. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. I do that often, and often I'll be in a a discussion. Often it's with my kids, and I just want to give them a piece of my mind. And I feel the Holy Spirit saying, "Okay, it's enough now." And I go, "No, it's not." And then afterwards, I go, "I wish I listened." I just wish I listened when the Spirit of God said to me, it's enough now. Ask the Spirit of God to lead you in the way that you speak. Last thing is this, use your tongue to glorify God. Understand that you've got this thing in your mouth that that expresses your heart, that is powerful and that can change people's lives just by the way that you speak. Glorify God with your tongue. This morning as I close, there's so much potential in us to bring so much life. May God help us. In Jesus' name.